Welcome back to Season 2 of Conversations with Coley Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Miller, the author of the book series A Through Z Guide to Raising a Good Human, a book series that I wrote to start the communication process between parents and children, starting from birth and why conversation is important. This year, I want to invite you to join me and my guests as we talk about all the subjects and topics that we hear about in everyday life, like human trafficking, grief, relationships, near-death experiences, and all the insights that we can learn from these subjects and topics, and how to look at things from both sides of the spectrum without using bias. Join me and my guests this season as we heat up the summer and the airwaves with our hot topics and we start opening the doors and shaking out the rugs that we have been carrying with us through generations to truly be the change. Welcome back to another episode of Conversations with Coley. Today, I'm speaking with Quintina Sony, human trafficking survivor. Today, we are going to dive into the world of human trafficking and her views on the new film, The Sound of Freedom. Welcome, Quintina. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy you're here because this is a conversation I've wanted to have and I have so many questions on since I learned about human trafficking. But first, we're going to do an icebreaker question. I'm ready. What, all right. What is one thing we take for granted? Oh, love. Love. So much so because it is such, it, it's, it's so abundant in the world, but I don't feel like it's spread enough and understood enough. So yeah, yeah, I would say love. And people use love against you too sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so it's totally. also sometimes weaponized. So I be- I agree 100% with that. So tell everybody about yourself. Yes. So um, like Coley said, I am Quintina Sani. I am a lived experience expert. That is the title that I usually go by in the anti-trafficking field. I've been in anti-trafficking for um, almost seven years now. I was also, I left my trafficker uh, seven years ago as well, which was one of my most magical moments in my life. Very, very difficult. And we'll get into why, but I wanted to figure out how I could keep other people from falling into trafficking and uh, not not giving the stereotypical like chains and ropes uh, scenario uh, as the main way that people are trafficked uh, because there are many ways that you can be trafficked. And we'll talk about the umbrella of human trafficking and what's under it and all that good stuff. But I wanted to make sure that everybody that was being exploited was able to be helped and and assisted. So I went on my own personal self-love journey, trying to figure out who I was after I was told who I was for many years. And 
finally became a breathwork facilitator. And also I read tarot as well. So I do a lot of divination and spiritual stuff in that regard. And that really has led me on my journey. Um, I'm also a full-time barefooter, so I do not wear or own shoes. And that is also part of my, yeah, it's uh, been almost two years now. And that's also part of my uh, spiritual journey and my mental health journey. So that's really fun too. Oh my gosh. I love this. You and I might be kindred spirits. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you enter the trafficking world? Yeah. So uh, to kind of take you back a little ways, because it doesn't start with the trafficking. And so a lot of people will think, oh, you know, she was probably kidnapped or somebody just like scooped her up off the street. And not saying that that doesn't happen because it absolutely does. But if we want to get the full scope, uh, I want to share with you why I was able to be trafficked and then also get into how. So when I was younger, I was sexually abused by a family member and that gave me ideas about my body as a young, young child. This was between the ages of five and 10 that I was to be used for sexual gratification. That was my purpose. That was what made men pay attention to me. And that belief trickled into my young adult years and I became promiscuous in not not in the like intercourse, but in other ways, um, provocative dressing, um, other types of um, sexual exploration. And when I talk about this and the reason that I bring that up is because I want to set the scene for what my brain was going through before I was trafficked, because mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that it's a, it's a, it's a mindset. It's Mm -hmm. you are somebody that is vulnerable, somebody who is, you know, not really thinking that you have anything to give of worth other than your body and society often perpetuates this idea on top of that. Right. So not only was it shown to me that, you know, this is what I'm, this is the best thing I am good for, but also society perpetuates that idea as well, because we over-sexualize everything, including children. So when I uh, got into my late or my late teens, early twenties, that is when I had pretty much, I would say that this was the worst experience of my life. Um, I was accused of some pretty heinous crimes from an ex-best friend and her husband that ended up having me go to jail. I was in jail for six weeks because I would not I, I wouldn't let them give me these deferred judgments and whatever stupid things that they were coming up with because I knew that I was innocent. And you so were standing by the truth or your truth. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that was like one of the things that made me so strong was not just like giving into the system because I know how the system works. They want you to take a conviction because they, they get something out of it. But of course they were also making money every day I was in jail. So Uh, either way, they were going to get their little bands. And so uh, when I was released, I was actually released on a personal recognizance bond. So you're telling me that 
you know, I have, I'm accused of three felony charges, but I'm good to go on a personal recognizance bond. And for those of you who don't know what a personal recognizance bond is, it's literally a, a bond where you don't pay. It's just your own uh, personal recognizance. It is your word that you are going to show up for your next court date. Yeah. So of course, after that, um, I did have to go to court a couple other times and was then finally convinced to take a misdemeanor trespassing charge and six months of probation. So with all of that, you know, I came out of that six weeks of jail with no job. No, I was in a, I had moved to another state. I was thousands of miles from my family or anybody that could help me. I was, um, obviously jobless, homeless, the apartment that I was in, I was, I couldn't pay for it anymore because I was jobless and all of that time had racked up all of these accrued, uh, charges for being kicked out. They also had a restraining order against me because of the charges. It was a mess, right? Yeah. So there were so many things against me at that time in my life. And so I did the next best thing that I knew how to do. And I went walking down the street with my uh, just some belongings that I had that I was trying to find a, a pawn shop or something anywhere to sell this stuff because I was like, I need to eat. I'm hungry. Like I have nothing. I have nothing now. And so when I was the the second day that I went walking down the lovely street, all of a sudden somebody was honking at me and normally I'm used to getting cat called. And so like it didn't normally, it wouldn't like phase me, but this time I was like, I don't know why I just felt the sense to like turn around and see what the heck was going on. So I turn around and there is this beautiful man in this dark green Lexus. And I'm just like, okay, like you You're walking at me. At me? <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah. so he pulled over into the uh gas station across the street and i walked over and he was like hey like you look really hot like i mean it, it's hot outside like you're beautiful but like you know he was trying to like not be a dick or whatever can we say that word yeah you know? yeah you can swear <laughs> okay perfect because i am a sailor um me too <laughs> love it yay so he calls me over and he's like, you know, Hey, like, do you need a ride? Do you need help? Whatever. And I was like, yeah, actually it would be really helpful if you could take me to some pawn shops so I can sell some of this stuff. And so that's what we did. Uh, so as we were in the car, he's asking me all these questions and, you know, normal questions, things that you would ask anybody, mm -hmm. but the thing with traffickers is they can sniff vulnerability from a mile away. Oh, yeah. He knew he knew that I would, that I was going like, he just knew. And so the questions he would ask me, like, where are you from? Like, are you close to your family? Like, blah, 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 blah. Like all these things. And me in my 20, I was 19 turning 20, 20 year old self was like divulging all of my personal information to this guy. Like, I'm not thinking, I'm just like, oh, he's just nice guy asking me about myself. Somebody is giving me attention. Oh my gosh. Like amazing. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so that's what it was. And then finally he realized, oh, she's out here. She's thousands of miles from her family. Um, she's not close to them. Uh, she is obviously homeless. I told him I just got out of jail. I told him why I was selling my stuff. I told him I didn't have anywhere to go. And so yeah. he got me a hotel room that night. 
and was like, you know, hey, like, let, let me take care of you. Yeah, yeah. And you're thinking, what a blessing. What a blessing, right? Yeah, I was so thankful because I'm like, I literally was sleeping in my car and it's the, it's the middle of July in, uh, in Colorado. So it's hot. I was so grateful. I was able to shower. I could sleep in a soft bed. Like everything was good. He bought me food. Like it was amazing. And so later on, uh, the next day we were trying to figure out what was going on with my car, all these other things. And I also had my, by my biological mother had also been, uh, trafficked and prostituted and hers was more for, um, drugs and, um, survival more mm-hmm. than it was for money. But mm-hmm. I knew that. So this is something that's generational. This is something that has happened before in my family. So for me, in my head, I'm thinking like, you know, if I'm already out here, like kind of destitute, I might as well, you know, make some fast money with my assets. Like I'm I'm good to go here. And he was like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, you know, do, have you ever done that before? And I was like, well, no, I mean, but it can't be that hard. You know, don't you just stand on the street corner and like hail people down or like, don't they like just get it? And he was like, yeah, that's a surefire way to get yourself killed. So how about you do it this way? And he showed me back page. Oh. Yeah. So isn't that so crazy that this man knew the entire time that eventually he was going to yeah. get me? It was easy for him. I literally handed it to him on a silver platter. (laughs) And you were walking down the street. How did he know? They smell it. I I promise you, the, the mind of a trafficker is somebody who is, and I will say that they also have their own shit that they're dealing with. You know, my, my ex trafficker, he was, uh, from Little Rock, Arkansas. He was gang affiliated. You know, it's, it's basically guns, drugs, or preaching down there. And so, you know, this is the life that he had come from. And for him, this was just another, a means to an end, you know, Mm -hmm. like he didn't really care. He Mm -hmm. loved me, but in this really weird way, I was more of, I was an asset, not, and, and not a liability to him at that point. So when he, showed me back page and we started to do that. We would go on, I would go to people's houses, men's houses, sometimes women, um, just appended. So I also want to remind you that buyers, people who buy sex are not just men. Uh, I, I definitely had some female clients. Uh, and so I think that it would be really good to talk about like, why buyers do this and why why is it even a thing that people feel it's okay to purchase somebody yeah because i'm gonna tell you right now i was blown away in 2016 when my grandson was born i started traveling from georgia to wisconsin to go back and forth to see him and over a period of two years we were traveling and this highway that we had to be on for most of the trip was notorious for human trafficking at this time 
this is something was something that had just popped up. My mother was telling me about girls getting grabbed off of trails and like all these things that were happening. I had no idea. And I lived in Florida. Now, you know, Jeffrey Epstein came up out of there and I had no idea. My kids ran the roads in Pasco County and I had no idea this was happening. So, yes, I would like to know because that was one of my biggest questions. What is it that the buyer is looking for? Absolutely. And who are the people getting the, the money money? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh man. And it's it's so layered, but I'll start I'll start with buyers. Yeah. Because at at the base level, trafficking is all about access or really lack of access to resources. People okay. do not feel the need to exploit other people if they have what they need. This is a system-based problem. It starts with the fact that, especially in the U.S., which, by the way, the U.S. is number three in the world for trafficking, and not even trafficking, 77% of um, people who are trafficked are in, the, in their country of origin live are, are natives of their country of origin. So I know that we like to think that all of this is happening across borders and all this stuff. Most people are trafficked. 77% of people are trafficked in their country of origin. Okay. Yeah. So we have to, we have to step out of this belief that it's cross countries and like, it doesn't happen in the U S because you know, how could it like, we're, you know, land of the free home of the brave. I want you to know that this is a system problem. Mm -hmm. The system says we are going to make resources very difficult for people to get. And so what happens when you have a lack of resources, you will do what you have to do to survive. So society says, well, if you have it, flaunt it, spread it all around, might as well make money from it because, you know, the, the sex work movement is trying to say that this is empowering or that uh, prostitution, which is a form of trafficking, mm -hmm. is something that's empowering. And I want to step back here because if buyers were able to get the resources that they needed, if they had healthy homes, healthy relationships, if they were, if they didn't feel like they had to purchase someone's body in order to be satisfied sexually, then we would not have this problem. It's supply and demand. If there is no demand, there would be no supply. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when we look at this as a system-based issue, it is a lack of resources. No one's going and growing up and saying, I want to be a prostitute when I grow up. Right. Nobody says like, you know, I want to, I want to go and, um, you know, do, I don't, I don't want to grow up and, uh, you know, make this man, this, or this trafficker, a bunch of money. And then mm -hmm. I don't get anything, but my hair and nails done. Mm -hmm. And maybe I eat good for a little while, you know, mm -hmm. like no one, no one's mm -hmm. growing up and saying that. So when we look at, this as a system-based problem, we have to also include adults. The definition of human trafficking is any service that is provided to someone 
via force, fraud, or coercion. That could be labor or sex. Some mm -hmm. people will say organ, um, organ trafficking or um, organ harvesting as part of that. Mm -hmm. It is force, fraud, and coercion. Adults can be force, frauded, and coerced. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. force, frauded, and coerced. <laughs> like, even though it looked like it was my choice, it ultimately was because I didn't have any other choice. There were right. no other options for me, right? right? Right. So with the buyers, they are looking for what they want. It, 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 we're a commodity. People are commodities in the US. The system will tell you that you're a commodity. You have a birth certificate. You have a social security number. You're registered with the state. You're literally property of this country. What makes you think that buyers are not going to see you any differently? Right. That's so like, yeah. that's that's why buyers do this, because they don't have access to the things that they want or desire. So they feel like, oh, I can just pay for it. <laughs> like that's that's all it is. It's commodity and consumerism at its finest. And I'm no socialist or communist, but I certainly believe that the way that we view capitalism in this country is really is is one of the reasons why the US is number 3. Some some statistics will say number 1 just depending on um who you ask. But wow. most commonly, we're number three after China and India, mm -hmm. we're number three. And wow. the only reason that China and India are before us is because they have larger populations. Wow. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason and I was I was raised to believe. And now I haven't had this belief like in my head since I was a young girl that this happened not on American soil. Americans would never allow this to happen because we see the value in the human life. Right. Yes. Sure. Sure. We do. <laughs> right. Um, can you explain for people the different ways you can be trafficked as a human being? Absolutely. So with um, the, the movie, The Sound of Freedom, we also have the movie Taken. Um, there was, uh, oh, that other movie that was like glamorizing uh, prostitution with um, not good girls. I don't remember what the movie was called, but it was like it, with um oh that really pretty actress. I don't remember, but <laughs> it's pretty woman. That's oh, what it yeah. was. It was pretty woman. Oh, yeah. I call well in the haircut that the hairstyle that I have when it's completely blonde, we call it the Vivian, and that's when she had the the blonde wig. I got my hair cut like that. And where I worked, the old men were like, oh, you look like Vivian Ward. And I was like, so do you want me to call you Eddie? And I would banter with them, but am I not taking part in the bullshit by responding that way? <laughs> you just, you didn't know. You didn't know yeah. because it was, it was glamorized in that movie, like escorting high, high end escorting, if you want to call it that is absolutely glamorized in in the US. I mean, listen to rap music, listen to, um, you know, all of the mainstream, mainstream stuff. This is glamorized everywhere, right? So you have these movies that are trying to like normalize what is going on or quote unquote, bring awareness. And mm -hmm. before I can, <clears throat> sorry, 
before I continue, I want to say this because I understand that we all want human trafficking to end Mm -hmm. all of us, right? Like I, we're on the same side here. So when I move into what I'm about to say next, I want people to understand that I'm coming from a place of one lived experience and two coming to you with extra education around the fact that yes, we absolutely should bring awareness, but where are the solutions? What are the solutions? Why is no one talking about solutions? And these movies don't bring solutions. All they do is spread what we, what everyone says is awareness. Okay. In my opinion, these types of movies are just trauma porn. (laughs) And, you know, for, for people who don't really understand what that means, it's literally when you get off or when you find other people's traumatic experiences exciting, or like you, you're, you, you literally, your body like gets a dopamine hit from hearing these things or seeing these things. Right. So, um, when, when we look at these types of movies, yes. Is the, the chains and the whips and the taking people off the street. Does that happen? Absolutely. But majority of trafficking is more on the fraud and coercion end that rather than force force is in there because like I said, it, it definitely happens, but we have to also look at fraud and coercion. Okay. If you are someone that has a lack of resources, you are going to do whatever it takes, whatever you're told to do to get those resources. If someone is promising you food, shelter, money, a place to keep your kids, you know, your children's safety, your safety, whatever, you're going to do what it takes. So you can, under the umbrella of human trafficking, there's labor trafficking and sex trafficking. And the OVC, uh, like I said, defines it as force, fraud, and coercion. But underneath that umbrella is commercial sexual exploitation. This is going to be in the realms of prostitution, stripping, escorting, uh, those those uh, online date apps um, that you can you can use dating apps absolutely to to do this. So that's going to be under. Uh, for the sex trafficking. And then, of course, labor trafficking is like forced work, of course, or you're not getting paid for the amount of hours that you work or you're getting underpaid. So there's two separate sides to trafficking. For me, my experience was commercial sexual exploitation and under that being prostitution, right? And prostitution is still a criminal offense in most states, which is really sad. Because if if we look at this umbrella, right, that that the the leading experts are saying that prostitution is under the umbrella of human trafficking, this was force, fraud or coercion. Mm -hmm. How can you criminalize somebody for being forced, frauded or coerced? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so unfair. The person going to jail is not your trafficker. It's you. It's you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because. You know, if if we don't take you're not the fall, going to, you're not going to be like, oh well, so and so made me. You're going to go to jail. Absolutely not. Because shut. exactly because if you don't, if you do get out, 
or when you get out because prostitution they, they usually just slap you on the wrist and let you mm-hmm. get your get your ass beat exactly mm-hmm. so why mm-hmm. would tell on my trafficker <laughs> you would, i would not that would be <laughs> exactly. yes like and it would be more harmful to someone they don't want to let you just go so you can't just say one day like hey you know, my, Mr. Trafficker, I'm I'm all set with this life. I think I want to go do something better and I'm going to go to college and I've enrolled and all this stuff. And so I'm going to get going now. OK, no, that's not going to happen. He's going to be like, what the fuck did you just say to me, bitch? <laughs> Absolutely yes. not. Literally, literally in that in literally that verbiage. Just like that. Yes. yes. Like, you want to know how I know? Because <laughs> I tried to do that. Wasn't going to work. Wasn't going to happen. I tried to leave many times. And finally, when I actually was able to leave, I had to do it by tricking him. (laughs) So I couldn't even leave on my own volition. I had to literally plan it out for weeks in advance. Uh, We had cars together in our name. We had uh, an apartment. We had, I had a full-time job. So So you were cohabs basically, except this is what your man expected you to do. This was my boyfriend. Right. Okay. This was my boyfriend and we were just doing what we had to do in order to pay the bills, but don't get it twisted. He took every one of my paychecks. So technically I was also labor trafficked. But my my more of my experience was um, the commercial sexual exploitation. But he took my full time income, all of that. He took my tips. I was a I've been a hairdresser. Uh, I was a hairdresser for ten years, um, and so like he took everything from me, all of it. And even if you are getting maybe like you're getting shelter in exchange or maybe he's giving you half or whatever that's still trafficking Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. nobody deserves to get money for the services that you have rendered now if you really want to call those types of services services then that's a whole nother story but when we're when we're talking about this these are services rendered right? Mm-hmm. You're getting paid for this in some form or fashion. Doesn't always have to be money either. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it can just be anything of value. Mm-hmm. So that's the hardest part when we have movies like the sound of freedom come out. Mm-hmm. And like I said, when I say this, I know that a lot of people really back this movie they back the mission that they have said that they are trying to do but as somebody in the anti-trafficking field as a lived experience expert somebody who has seen this shit over and over and over again with so many movies this was not for awareness okay it was not suppressed i know you want to believe that it was but it was not suppressed there are major, just look it up. Look at who funded the movie. Major Hollywood actors funded this movie. Right. Right. <laughs> like, and we're all getting the information coming forward on what's going on through that. Exactly. And this is based off of a, a real life person. The, the movie was based off of a real person who really does have um, his own organization. And the thing is... <laughs> That organization has been uh, investigated multiple times for embezzlement. 
and they don't provide the necessary aftercare for the children that they go in and scoop up and rescue. So it's like, yeah, you're going in and you want to be like captain save everybody, but then what do you do afterwards? Mm -hmm. Do you know that most of those children are not reunited with their families? Most of them are put in foster care or adopted. That, those are other forms of exploitation. I know we all think adoption is wonderful, but <laughs> adoption and foster care both are system-based money mongols. Like they're just they're they are cash makers. Yeah, you're not and the first person to say that in my presence, unfortunately. It's so sad, and I like I have such a big heart for the people who, you know, have that have done adoption and they've done it the right way and they did it for the right reasons. That's wonderful. I know that there are people out there. I was adopted myself. So I like, I totally understand. And there are good people in adoption. I'm not saying there are good foster parents. Okay. I'm not saying that there's not, but when we look at the majority and we look at the aftercare, there isn't anything, not anything. There isn't a lot of options for what happens after they take you out of everything you've ever known. Right. Right. Because in like, healing, in healing, even as adults, when we go through things, it sounds to me like what you were going through was like leaving a domestic violence situation. You had to plan it out. I'm sure it was scary. I'm sure there was a time he was probably looking for you. I'm sure you probably had to worry about being stalked. So there's a lot of things that come behind what you've gone through exactly absolutely yeah and that is exactly right there there was a time a short time thankfully that he was trying to get me back you know it was the back and forth it was the typical manipulation i love you i'm sorry you don't have to do this anymore you can keep your job blah 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 whatever like and then it was you fucking stupid bitch like how the fuck could you do this to us blah it was literally like like it went from it went from love bombing to like demon <laughs> like mm-hmm. just back and forth and so <laughs> he literally just didn't want to lose his his property and his mm-hmm. money exactly mm-hmm. like that was all that it was and i understand from his perspective that he also has trauma right and so i want to share this also that again this is a system based issue if he didn't have to do what he had to do in order to survive he would not exploit people i wasn't right. the only one i had right. i had what we call light wife-in-laws so there were other people other women that he also was doing this to one of them lived with us so mm-hmm. it's like you you get to the point where you are so scared to leave and you're so brainwashed into thinking that like everything's good and that you have what you need that you can't see anything else you can't see the choices that you have Mm -hmm. and especially with with all the barriers that have now been created because you have to think all these things were in my name so all the the cars, the apartment, the this, the that, everything's in my name because he can't have anything in his name, can't have a paper trail for him. 
um, you know, bills are in my name. Bills aren't getting paid. My credit's getting ruined. I had to, uh, you know, I had also the barriers of housing where I had to move out. The lease fell through. That lease was in my name. Like all these barriers pile up. So just because you go in and you quote unquote rescue somebody, which we'll talk about why I hate that verbiage. Um, when you go in and you quote unquote rescue someone, you, if you are not providing them options and resources for after what they've just been through, you are literally just going to re-exploit them because they are going to go right back to what they know. Yes. How else, how else do you think that this could possibly work there? Yes. It, and it's not like people get really upset. We, you, we think about, we think about this with domestic violence survivors where we're like, why would she go back to him or he go back no, to her? Whatever. Like, why would like three months to get it together? You left with nothing three months ago and you better have a house, a car, a job. Oh, and if you didn't have a car when you left. And then sometimes you're in there with people stealing from you when you don't have anything. So sometimes getting your ass beats better than that shit. (laughs) Absolutely. That's why it took me so long to leave. It took me three and a half years because I was sitting there like I would literally rather get my ass beat than get caught for trying to leave or trying to figure out what I was going to do. And the only reason, honestly, that I even had the the strength to actually finally do it and get out and leave him was because I I attribute Nexplanon, the birth control that stuff is terrible. It made me a psycho. Like I was angry at everything. Like he, he, I got so angry with him and there's, you have one rule, one major rule. Don't yell at daddy because if you yell at daddy, you know, what's going to happen. When I had the next plan on in me, I didn't give a fuck. (laughs) And so he, he threatened my life. Like before he would like, you know, choke me out and whatever and and hit me and stuff. That was like whatever. But he put a loaded gun to my head and was like, if you don't get your shit together, I'm going to fucking kill you. So I had no other choice but to figure out, oh, my God, am I going to stay here or am I going to get my poop in a group (laughs) and try to figure out a way to get out? Yeah. Wow. Wow. And that was one of my questions. Like what triggered you to finally just get out? Well, I guess that would do it. Yeah. Because I realized that he actually could. And in my head, I'm thinking he absolutely would. He has nothing to lose. If I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to give him the things that he wants in my brain, I'm like, his only other option is to kill me. Mm -hmm. Like what other choice does he have? Right. So when we, so when if, we, if the SWAT team broke down your door, took him off to jail, right? And said, okay, we've rescued you. That's it. They walk away. So now you're stuck with no way to make money, no place to, to not giving people, setting them up for success, basically, when you rescue them. Exactly. It is a choice. Now, with children, that's different because children children really can't choose, you know, they didn't, they, they, they don't, they don't have the capacity to make that kind of choice. Um, but adults, 
it is it is a choice to stay out, but it wasn't a choice to get in. Mm-hmm. You don't get in because of choice. You get in because of lack of choice, but you mm-hmm. stay out because of choice. And that's so important for people to realize because when we continue to make people feel bad for going back when they weren't given any resources to help them after it's the system the system wants them to go back into this 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 whole industry is <laughs> is funded by the system okay we know about hollywood pedophiles we know about elite pedophiles we know about i mean god we talk about some of the presidents and their affairs and their people scooting people through the back doors and all this other crazy stuff this Mm -hmm. is totally normalized Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. in the political field in the political arena this is this is old news Mm -hmm. because they see these people these adults as someone making a choice to do this when if you're being offered lots and lots of money to keep quiet and do a little you know thing for some stuff Mm -hmm. you're gonna do it Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. when the system's against you and there's no other lucrative options if you gave any of us the option to work the same flexible hours, get paid just as much and be able to like do something that we actually like, we would choose that every time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is not, that's not a choice. (laughs) Absolutely. So what do you, what do you see as things that we can do as a human whole to honestly fix the system because it's broken. It's broken. It has been going on too long. I don't even want to know what year America made it to one or three in human trafficking because I think it would make me sick to know that I was that blind. And it's, it's so hard because, you know, we can't blame ourselves for the lack of education around this topic because I mean, we saw it even just on the Internet, the way that we met so many people are like, that doesn't happen here. You know, blah, 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 whatever. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't believe that it happens. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So. The the main way from all my years in this field and also from what I do for a job, which I'll get into. Is we need to be a country that lowers barriers and starts to understand that adults can be forced, frauded, and coerced. Mm -hmm. This is not a choice. And from a system uh, side, they could absolutely give impoverished people, people with less, more access to resources. And again, I'm no socialist or communist, but the way that we commodify everything, it is harming us. To really support and really start to stop and human trafficking or trafficking in any way. Yes. So from the system side, 
people don't realize that a lot of these systems are in place to keep people oppressed, to keep people from resources. And when you have a lack of resources, you get desperate. You are going to do what it takes to survive. This is a survival mechanism for many people. And the more that we sit here and think that it doesn't happen here, and the more that we think that it's cross borders, and the more that we think that only children and vulnerable populations, such as people with mental disorders or disabilities or whatever, are the only ones who can be trafficked, right. we are right. never, we're never going to see this end because it affects everybody. Trafficking affects the victim. Everyone. Hmm. And stop blaming the victims. Yes. We I see way too much of somebody telling their story, and there will be a comment of, well, she could have. Really? Were you sitting there on the side of the road sleeping in your car? Right. You well, let me get into that. Yeah. Like yeah. let's 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 uh let's unpack that. You know, let's yeah. do a little objection uh blocking here. Yeah, sure. Could I have not gotten into the car that day with some random guy? Absolutely. I could have. But what would you have done if you were a, a woman walking down the sidewalk with nowhere to go, but sleeping in your broken down car with no money, no food? Thing you did. I would have done the exact same thing. I can tell you. Somebody that looks nice. It, this was a nice car. Okay. This wasn't one, some like scrub down the block. All right. Like that, I, I would have given myself a little more frack if I if it was like a scrub down the block. This was a, a, a nice looking man with a very nice car. Yeah, I'm not thinking that he's going to be that type of person. Right. And so that's one thing. The next thing is. Stop commodifying human beings your your consumerism is what is overtaking <laughs> your ability to see that this affects you too do you mm -hmm. know that your taxes are higher because of human trafficking do you know that people are um given welfare based off of um survivor like survivors of trafficking are roped into like welfare systems because you know somebody has to give them something because they have all these barriers to being able to get a house get a job get a this that get a that right they have maybe they have drug addiction problems maybe they have lots of evictions their credit score is low all these barriers but you want to blame the person who was force frauded and coerced to do something that they did not want to do and you pay you pay the price for that you pay the price for your bias every single day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what was it like for you once you became free yeah my favorite part of the story <laughs> so for me it took a while to get to a place where i felt like really well uh it mm -hmm. took therapy it took different spiritual practices. Um, I did uh, talk therapy for a time. I did EMDR. I also dove headfirst into spirituality and not the, not religion, just 
Right. I, I wanted to study all of them. I would call myself omnistic. And for those of you who don't know what omnism is, it's literally just believing that all religions have, you know, truth to them. And that's really, that's how I feel. I feel that I can learn something from every religion, every spiritual thought, uh, ideology out there. And so I like to absorb all of that and see how it fits into my life. And then once I started to implement somatic practices, which is like body-based practices. I did EMDR a little bit, which helped. Uh, but then I started to implement breath work. And once I implemented breath work, that is where everything started to change for me because breath is the gift from creator, God, source, whatever you believe in, whatever your higher power is, that is the gift that we were given. Did you know that the breath is the only function of the body that not only you can control consciously, but is also a subconscious uh, body process. And the breath is the liaison between your conscious and your subconscious. And guess where trauma lives? In your subconscious. It lives in your body. Mm -hmm. It lives in the places that you can't see it. So once I started to implement somatic practices and started to uncover the, the trauma that was in my body, that's where everything shifted for me. Mm -hmm. And I created the conscious choice method because as you've heard me say multiple times, it is all about choice. Getting out and staying out is about choice, yeah. right? So uh, with the method, I use breath work and tarot and a little bit of human design to first on myself to help me figure out what is inside, what is in here, what's happening mm -hmm. and using the breath to actually push it out of the body. Mm -hmm. So that for me was absolutely the most incredible part of being out. And in the beginning, it was tough because having all of these different barriers, evictions and low credit and this, that, and the third, it was very difficult for me to function as a regular person. We like to call, <laughs> survivors will often call, uh, when you get out of the life, they call you a square. Um, so like the square yeah. life, you know? Yeah, because um, you do, you have to cut everything off to start over. You really do. You can't keep a lot of your old life. You can't. Yeah, you have to drop all of it. You have to drop the old beliefs. You have to drop the old traumas. You have to start thinking of yourself as more than just an object to be purchased. Mm -hmm. And that that was probably the hardest thing for me was to stop thinking of myself as a commodity because the society, the systems in place, people, men commodified me mm -hmm. and and purchased me and so I had to separate myself from that old identity and say, this is no longer what I want to be. I don't want to be a commodity. I'm not a commodity. But I couldn't do that unless I actually removed the trauma responses from my body mm -hmm. because I was addicted to chaos. I'll tell you what, just because I left my trafficker doesn't mean that I didn't put myself in situations that were any less chaotic. Oh, I'm and sure you have to, the only way out is through. So you have to get through it to get out. Exactly. Exactly. So I put myself through a lot of other like chaotic experiences 
just in order to feel something because my body had been regulated to the fast life of being trafficked. And so we have to understand that when we, when someone chooses to get out and we try to support them, we have to understand that their body is making these decisions. 95% of our decisions are made by our subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. 95%. These people are not making these chaotic, random, these decisions that you think are, are so out there and so crazy. They're not crazy to the person who is doing them. That it makes in survival mode because you don't just switch that off. You had you go into survival mode as soon as you're in the life of domestic violence, trafficking, abuse. You're in survival mode. That doesn't just shut off as soon as you get your life back. Exactly. We we have to have more mental health options. And I think that it should, it's, it starts there. It starts there because a lot of the reason why buyers purchase humans besides the system is because they're looking to fill a void. They're looking to fill a void that they don't think that somebody that they don't have to pay could fill. Mm -hmm. Traffickers are filling a void. They mm -hmm. have been through whatever, it, whatever made them choose to exploit other humans, they've been through something. They need mental health services. Mm -hmm. They're not, yes, they are, they should be punished for what they've done, but they're also human beings and they what deserve. They go yeah. What was yeah. their childhood like? What was it like for them? Is this all they've ever known? Is this generational? Is there an abuse and poverty response? Exactly. That's, yeah. that's normally, that's what, that's what a lot of these traffickers, pimps, whatever, have experienced as well. Yeah. And then you think of the the survivors, right? The ones who actually have to, like, we've been through that too. I have not met in my seven years of anti-trafficking work, I have not met one survivor who did not have some sort of uh, pro like sexual or like physical abuse as a child or in their um, early adult years. That I've never met be, one. Right. That was going to be another question because when we are sexually assaulted and abused from the time for me, I was two. So you're a toddler. Look at a two-year-old and someone is doing something to you. Obviously, if you're two, you're not going to know when you're nine that that is not normal. Exactly. Mm -hmm. How would you know? You it's don't. been normalized for you. It's norm. It's normalized in society. I know we're all like everybody's like ew pedophiles, but <laughs> there yeah. there are way more out there's there way than you too think. Many of them now. There's way too many of them. That's true. <laughs> <Way> too many. <laughs> exactly. And you know, <laughs> it's it's hard to have compassion for those people because mm -hmm. we. We want to villainize somebody. We want it to be someone else's fault. Mm -hmm. And I say this with the utmost love in my heart that yes, they are the ones making those decisions, but the way that we as human beings treat each other and see each other perpetuates it. Mm -hmm. It perpetuates it. And mm -hmm. we have to start understanding our roles in this issue if we really want it to stop if we really care and a movie 
about one guy with a savior complex is not going to stop human trafficking. I'm throwing money at organizations that we're not sure where are they allocating those funds? Who does, do people really look? Do, and, and, and by funds, what are the funds? What is it doing? Show me, tell me. Because yes, I jumped on that same bandwagon. As soon as I knew about sec, like human trafficking and started to dive into it and heard all the things and started really paying attention, I started dumping money into coffee from Seattle because so many dollars went to human trafficking. But where did those dollars really go? Did it really go to that? Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And then yeah. what do the dollars do? Because I know in the work that I've just been doing in the recent years with podcasting and leadership, professional and personal development, I am learning that a lot of that funded money keeps the lights on in a building most of the time and keeps people answering a phone. It's not really helping the actual problem. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Which is why I love, I love my job. I love what mm -hmm. I do. I am the housing program director at Survivor Ventures. And Survivor Ventures, we are the answer to the aftercare. And the the wonderful thing about us is we have two sides to our um to our organization. We have employment, supportive employment, and we have safe and stable housing. We don't just go and put people in shelters and we don't just throw them in random jobs and say, okay, like you're making a wage, like figure it out. <laughs> right. We give them a job that they actually like. <laughs> we give oh, like, wow. we, we, we talk to them. We say, what do you want to do? We have over 80, almost 90 different work sites that are all trauma informed trained by our, um, our COO who is incredible. And she tells them, hey, this population is going to come to work and work has been a trigger. Work has been a terrible experience for these people. You're yeah. going to have to understand that like this is not going to be your normal employee. Doesn't mean that they're unemployable. It just mm -hmm. means that like that you have to be careful about how you speak to them, because normally when they went to work, quote unquote, it was get to work, bitch. Like, mm -hmm. and if there's any sort of energy like that, they're going to, they're going to have a trauma response. Like it's mm -hmm. going to, you know, so we want to train these work sites to say, Hey, like we, we want you to hire these people, but it also is really great training for any other staff that have trauma, you know, not just survivors, right? Like it can be any trauma. It's good to have. So we do that on top of that. We also, uh, for me, my job as the housing program director is I create connections with landlords in the Hamden Roads area. Uh, we were based out of Hamden Roads in Virginia. So that's um, seven different cities all around Norfolk. Um, we, I create connections with different landlords and I explain the barriers to having the attack to survivors obtaining housing. And so we have landlords now that work with us in our rental assistance program. And I love our rental assistance program because it's 
supportive in the way where, yes, we pay 100% of the rent for the first three months, but then we start to decline our assistance so that the survivor can actually learn to pay bills on their own. They start to learn how to have a normal life. They start well, to abruptly stopped. It's weaned off. Exactly. Exactly. And they start to learn like, oh my gosh, like, oh, I can budget now. I can pay this bill. Like I can do this, whatever. And we help them with, you know, if they've never had a household, maybe they've never, you know, lived by themselves or, you know, alone. And so we also do uh, supportive, uh, different supportive things so that they're able to not burn their house down, and, you know, learn how to do stuff. So we, do all of this um with with donations and and funding and we need that because yes we have you know we only have five employees in our whole <laughs> in our whole organization three in virginia and two in delaware we have a delaware chapter as well so we're a very small organization so not a lot of our money that we get goes to us and we don't we all work remote so we don't have any place to like keep the lights on this that and the third it's literally any money that we get outside of what needs to be paid baseline goes directly back to helping survivors. And we are a survivor-led organization. So it's even more magical that we not only do we have the understanding from a, through a survivor's lens, but we're also out here doing the work that it seems like nobody else wants to do because we're too focused on you know, we need feed clothes shelter. That's great. Do that. But what happens after? What happens when you when they can't stay in the shelter anymore? What happens when they can't go to the food shelf anymore because they've been there too many times that week? What mm -hmm. happens? Mm -hmm. We need we need to give them opportunities to allow them to grow back into a normal life, whatever normal looks like for them, because that's what we want to support. We want to support what looks like normal to them without yeah. being exploited. Yeah. Wow. So how do people maybe listening to this episode, if they wanted to assist your organization, how can they do that? Yes, you can go right to Survivor Ventures, B-N-T-U-R-E-S. I'm sure you'll have show notes. It'll be in .org. And right at the top, it says donate. You can be specific about what you want to donate to. If you want to donate to housing, if you want to give us unrestricted funds. Also, if you want to donate to mental health, um, I'm actually contracted through Survivor Ventures with my own business as a breathwork facilitator. So I do breathwork for our participants. So if you'd like to support mental health, um, you can do that as well, um, or you can just click whatever. You can do multiple donations over. You can do one-time donation. Um, so that's how that's how we go through and support our survivors. I love it. I love it. And I'm so happy that you brought up the exploitation of Hollywood and the things that people are going through, because I don't think... And I don't either. I don't think about if I go purchase that movie ticket that I'm actually putting money into somebody's pocket that might not have a good intention with it. And I, I, again, I have such a heart for wanting to bring awareness and that's wonderful, but it was kind of like the, it was this, this whole thing about it being suppressed. It was a marketing ploy. 
and y'all fell for it <laughs> to be honest like yeah. and i i say that i say that with love because like they did a good job at making it look like it was suppressed making it look like they fought so hard to get this movie out the reason yeah. that it took so long is because they knew they're 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 so overly funded they don't they didn't need the money <laughs> okay they didn't need the money it wasn't about the money it was never about awareness it was more just about how can we get this story this this guy's story who has a legitimate survivor complex if you really want to know about the uh the the guy who the movie is based on just look up um tim ballard mural and you will see that he commissioned a mural of himself carrying a child down a a railroad there is a light around his head as if he's fucking jesus or something and oh, there's a, and there's a bunch of people sitting like kneeling or standing at the sides and some of them are actually other like anti-trafficking leaders at the side of him watching him carry this child down the, the down the railroad tracks mm. are you mm -hmm. kidding me sir are you serious <laughs> like <laughs> unhelpful and this is the story. This is the guy whose story this um, movie is based off of. And it's funded from the same people who sat there and told you that they were trying to suppress it. I'm sorry, but that's a lie. Just well, thank you for outing that because a lot of people believe it. I believe it too. I mean, not an, I don't think we do enough to look things up to make sure that what we are putting our support behind and what we are hashtagging awareness over and what we're putting our money towards is really wh what it says it is. Exactly. And, you know, when we think about it like this, human trafficking is like a hot button issue anytime that it's brought up people have like a emotional reaction which is totally normal right like obviously have an emotional reaction that makes sense but i like we need to have logic also like we need to kind of separate this emotional reaction that we have of like i want to bring awareness i want to make sure that everything like i i want to stop it i want it to stop yes all yeah. of us do but right awareness is not going to make it stop right your biggest con like you you that is listening your biggest contribution to ending human trafficking is removing your bias about how trafficking happens and where it happens it is not a one-size-fits-all and it's not just children and it's not just adults and it's not just in every other country but the united states Okay. <laughs> when you can have empathy and compassion for what someone has been through that made them even have to go through something like that. If we can stop, like you said, Nicole, victim blaming, yeah. that is where it starts. Because once we open the door for compassion and understanding, we can start finding solutions to the barriers that survivors face once they are let out into the free world man from your lips to all the ears that need to hear it please yes 
I thought that when I was a domestic violence victim, when I was in the thick of it, there was a lot of things being hurled at me. If you just, if you just, if you just, if you just, not, not really. I feel finally seen and heard by you because you've been in the same situation. And so to hear your story, all it does is mirror to me exactly how I felt in those moments, trying to get away and whatever and going back because, you know, it is what it is. So thank you for what you're trying. Yeah. Thank you for, and, and that's the whole thing too, is that nobody gets into the whole, you trauma bond with the person who is your abuser because they've been through it too. They're just reenacting a different, a different role. Let's just exactly. go there. They didn't like it when they were kids, but sometimes they turn into what they did not like. Because so they want to protect themselves. Yes. Yes. And they feel it's an exterior thing. They feel I had one of my abusers tell me, I don't know why I do this. It's not you. It's me. But I don't know what to do. That's when you know you're in trouble and you got to go. <laughs> you know what I that mean? Part. But yeah. it was the most honest I had ever heard someone. So I appreciate you for sharing your story, for sharing the insights about this movie, because A, I had never heard of this movie. B, if I would have saw the trailer, because I watched it last night, I would have totally run to support sex trafficking, right? And boy, would I have felt dumb as soon as the truth came out. So I appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your story, being so real about it, and kind of waking us all up to what it's like to be really truly woke <laughs> and finding finding ways to do solutions instead of just spreading awareness okay trust me survivors know this shit's happening the people in the anti-trafficking field know this is happening okay we're all aware the people who the people who are actually going to mobilize and do something about it know it's mobilizing the community it's mobilizing the people who are unaware not just bringing awareness, but actually finding solutions. And since it's a system-based problem, you need system-based solutions. So thank 100%. you so much for having me, Nicole. Thank you. And where can people find you if they want to follow you? Maybe they might be interested in some breath work. Cause I'm going to tell you, I had a somatic med led meditation or whatever, and that was life-changing. I literally feel like the trauma that I held onto from way back when came up in one session and it just goes the breath mm -hmm. is literally the liaison for it to just move out of you i love mm -hmm. oh the breath is such a gift um so i am on tiktok at quintina sani and that's where i actually just post about my barefoot journey so if you want to like check out my barefoot lifestyle you can do I that there and that. why i'm barefoot and all that good stuff super fun <laughs> um i'm also on facebook and instagram both quintina sani and then i also have a telegram chat it is for women only um but i have the telegram group where it's called the conscious choice community and that's where i post my workouts that i'm doing i post lots and lots of really fun stuff in there that's where i do all my master classes free breath works uh community sessions all that good stuff it's going to be in telegram the link will probably be in the show notes so you can find that there because it's like a weird one so i'll send that over to you and that is where i like to hang out i like telegram the most awesome thank you so much 
Thank you for spending time listening to our conversation. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe, like, and share so we can reach more listeners with our powerful messages. And stay tuned to hear about our affiliates and recommendations. They change from episode to episode.